politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready with a sense of urgency to fight for our life, liberty, property, humanity, our own human cells. Are we going to remain free, sentient human beings or not? That is our contest. That is our goal. That is our fight. This is your show. See our podcast, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, the second day of March, Thursday, and we got a lot on the agenda today. We always talk about medical freedom being the most important thing around, and, and, and it is. And understanding the rise of the Fourth Reich is the most important thing around. But it's not just because we can't live free with the creation of viruses, the blocking of treatment, the mandating our bodies, surveilling us, the vaccine agenda – but it's what it represents. It represents a newfound awareness that maybe some of you had, but I didn't really fully have it until the Great Reset. That these people are more evil, the Western oligarchs are more evil than Iran, North Korea, or anything we've ever dealt with. They literally are trying to kill us and destroy us. So today we're going <clears> to <throat> move this on to the next level and discuss two other, I want to discuss two other spheres of this. Medical freedom is one. Two others, that, and they all tie into this. Energy, to take away our energy and make us reliant on, frankly, dangerous, but certainly ineffective forms of energy. And central bank digital currency. Take away the health, you take away the energy. You take away the currency, you take away human life and the shocking thing is not only are republicans not out there you know doing everything we're saying interposition in the red states blocking this they're downright passing and supporting new iterations of the green energy scam and now yes in south dakota central bank digital <clears throat> currency potentially we're gonna have a special guest coming up to discuss that and more First, um, before I'm really in a bad mood, uh, put myself in a good mood here, today's sponsor is from one of our own, one of our listeners, and one of our Liberty Strike Force team leaders, Andre Ong of Missouri. So he's going to head up our Missouri team. But in addition to being our Liberty Strike Force chairman, he is also the president of LibertyEstatePlans.com. So government's coming for everything, vehicles, investments, banking, guns, you name it. One thing they always love to get their hands on is your estate, to make it as hard as possible to affordably pass it on to your children um, and, you know, from probate to all sorts of government regulations. You need a plan right now to form a moat around your castle. Your estate is your castle. Um, Liberty Estate Plans offers customized plans for you, your unique situation. They don't just fill out stock forms. You know, <clears throat> okay, you, you need me to sign off on your thing. Here it is. Go file it. No. You'll pay a one-time fee, and then you'll get as much time uh, and dedication as, as you possibly could want. 
uh, at Liberty Estate Plans. Andre will help prepare everything for you, walk you through the whole process, even be there to make changes when you need them in the future as a lot of laws keep changing in the states. If you already have an estate plan, but you know you just want to make sure you're doing everything right, he'll review the details for free. And you know what? Talk to him, especially if you're in Missouri, about the Liberty Strike Force team. Uh, he's truly one of our CR podcast team uh, members. So again, go to libertyestateplans.com to schedule your free consultation uh, today. That's libertyestateplans.com. And by the way, just mention Daniel CR podcast. You'll get 20% off if you do wind up signing on with him. So I think what what really encapsulates the sentiment of where we are today, this guy Mark W. on Amazon, he left a review on our book, Rise of the Fourth Reich. If only one book this decade, God please let it be this one. Never before have I experienced any one book rocketing into market with such a globally imperative and urgent need to read as has this spectacularly courageous narrative detailing not only the rank and rotten underbelly of most governments' corruption and their collusion with big pharma, big tech, big business, military-industrial complex, and the putrid, vile, filthy, diabolical to the core elite within, but even worse, the horrific, excruciating stories of pain and relentless suffering people have and continue to endure. If the Nuremberg II trials don't commence, I fear pitchforks and torches will prevail. May God not have mercy on their souls for the ones in the highest ranking positions whom orchestrated this evil and pulled the strings all belong in hell. And I think that's how we all feel. And again, you watch. Yesterday, they approved the GSK Pfizer uh, uh, RSV shots the day before it was Pfizer. Again, admitted, admitted it's a total problem. Admitted there's no efficacy data because no one gets seriously ill. Where is the imperative? Why? Why would you do this? There's no good answer. It's the same reason you'll pursue the green machine. I just want to give a little bit of an update on, on, on the green energy stuff before we have our guest on. So the reason why this is so devastating is because on the surface, this was like the one issue where we had consensus. All Republicans seem to be for drilling and, and you know oil and gas, and they're fighting back. But as I've been warning you, Every Republican governor except for DeSantis has bought into global warming to varying degrees. They buy into the premise of global warming, buy into the premise of it being a problem, buy into the premise of you being able to affect the weather, buy into the premise that carbon is a pollutant and is irrevocably causing this, and buy into the premise that you need to transition to this stuff. It's just they don't want to fully end fossil fuels. They're like, let's do both. But as you well know, if the, the government is putting the screws to real energy and giving tailwinds to terrible energy, and Republicans are like, hey, it's all okay with me, what do you think the result's going to be? And the other thing you have to understand is most... The red states have the most expansive land resources. So, believe it or not, we have the ability to shut down wind and solar and carbon capture with red state interposition. Instead, they support it more than anyone else because this is where they're seeding it. This is an article from Yahoo. GOP governors tout green bona fides amid anti-ESG backlash. 
Republican governors across the U.S. have been trumpeting their state's green bona fides, even as the anti-ESG chatter from GOP lawmakers shows few signs of abating. Alaska's Mike Dunleavy said his state has the potential to be a global leader in low and even no-carbon energy. Think about that. Alaska governor. Christy Nome, and they go through the quotes here. Christy Nome highlighted a new $1 billion plant called Net Zero One that will produce sustainable aviation flu. She called it the largest economic development in South Dakota's history. They will literally turn corn into jet fuel. As impossible as that sounds, she said in her state of the state address. So they, they're, uh, I mean, this might have been Bloomberg, it's, I'm seeing in Yahoo. They did what I did last month, going through some of these state of the state addresses. South Carolina. Henry McMaster's talked about his state's largest investment, $3.5 billion facility in recycled battery materials. Jim Justice. There are an awful lot of people who never would have believed that a coal guy would welcome with open arms alternative sources of energy. And he said his state's going to attract businesses that include many green and niche components. Mike DeWine, Ohio, has a rich history in automotives, has also become an emerging force in electric vehicle and EV parts manufacturing. Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt, emphasized his state's position among the country's top oil and gas producers, but also in ranks in the top 10 with renewable energy. Let's continue to diversify our energy grid and embrace more of an of-everything approach. Doug Burgum in North Dakota, he's pimping, obviously, carbon capture and storage like we talked about. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon, progressive, acknowledged the need to address climate change in his speech last month, saying carbon capture would play a crucial role. And then you have this article that's been put out all over the place in the media. A Climate Central report shows a 16% increase in both solar power and wind power across America. But they found the largest increase in the state of Texas. In the state of Texas. That they're leading on all of this. And they increased their capacity... They're a leader in wind generation. The state's wind capacity increased from 34,000 megawatts in 2021 to 37,365 in 2022. The state was the leader in, in wind. And if you look, the biggest leaders are Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, and really that whole kind of Great Plains, Upper Midwest area. It's a disgrace. Now, you might be, Daniel, you're against it. Hey, without the government lying and trashing and regulating and treating real fuels like pollutants and not subsidizing and mandating a dime of this and it works on its own, I'm all, I'm all fine with that. But, but when you have that much energy behind it, it's literally Pfizer vaccines 2.0 where you are shielding them from all market accountability on safety and efficacy. So you have these unsafe, I mean, there's a bunch of articles I can go into with, um, maybe we'll talk about it with our next guest, because he also actually knows a lot about energy too in South Dakota. Um, But what you're seeing here is all these stories about these rotting uh, solar 
panels and windmills, wind turbines, and these are made with a lot of chemicals. The notion that these are somehow pro-environment is bull. It is bull. When you have something that is viewed, just like with the RSV shots and the COVID shots, they could be the most toxic things around. But if government promotes it with the, with the weight of the universe, no safety or efficacy problems will matter. Same thing here. And Republicans are embracing our demise. They are embracing Agenda 2030. They're literally saying, we hope to transition to alternative fuels. Why? After everything we know they're doing, just like after everything we know they're doing on COVID, they refuse to fight it and they're actually joining it and their state departments of health are still promoting it. Same thing with green energy. We need to ban all green energy mandates, subsidies, tendentious treatment at a state level that needs to be a piece of legislation. Now, folks, very uh, apropos for today, <laughs> we're going to talk about the currency. Now's the time to invest in gold more than ever. Um, I'm still in, in the middle of my own tax return, but I'm going to owe a lot of money this year, actually, that wasn't taken out of my paycheck, so I'm going to be in the hole. I don't want to write that check to the IRS. So you have the option of putting in, you know, about 6500 per person, your wife and yourself, your spouse and yourself, um, into an IRA, a 401k to defer that taxation. But what are you going to put it in? The stock market? Coasting at a record high, supporting those that hate your values? Or you put it into a company that supports your values? Birch Gold will make it easy to convert your IRA or 401k into precious metals Um if it sounds daunting or new, they have a beautiful, um, amazing printout that you could get, you know, no obligation info kit on how to make that change. Text Daniel to 989898 today. That's Daniel to 989898 today with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your future today. Text Daniel to 989898 today. So, folks, this is where we are everywhere with red states. We focus on the Washington soap opera. We think just elect Republicans and we go to sleep. Meaning it's not just in the case of energy that Republicans are joining with it, too. Republicans are actually indispensable. If Republicans would simply just refrain from participating, they couldn't do this because, again, most of the states with the lane to do solar, wind, and carbon capture are red states. A while back, Joe and, and, and he mentioned this in the State of the Union, Joe Biden made fun out of Republicans like, hey, you guys voted against my Inflation Reduction Act, you know, those, you know, pimping all the green energy and the electric vehicles. That's fine. That's fine. But you guys like coming to my groundbreaking ceremonies the electric vehicle charging stations in your state. That's fine. I'm, I'm the president of all the people. I'll take it. And you know what? He's not wrong. These guys are, there's stories all over the country. Republican governors are groveling for the green energy money to seed our land with these stupid electric charging things that are going to be unsafe 
and help transition us to the noose around our neck. Rasmussen's out with a poll. Very interesting poll. 47% of registered Republicans and 26% of Dems want national divorce. So they polled national divorce. And remember, when you poll that without a qualifier, in most people's minds, it means like secession immediately. Just start a new country. And we explained, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it eventually, but all we really need is just to have the 10th Amendment on steroids and just interpose against all federal tyranny and make red states as red as blue states are blue, and you'll solve the problem. What we do thereafter, I think, will we'll gain a lot of clarity in the future. But even when it's framed like a straight-up national divorce, almost half of Republicans supported it. Now, obviously, more Republicans than Dems, which is, is, makes sense because the Democrats, they don't feel pain because they're winning. Their, their policies are the incumbent policies, both in blue and red states. It's our people that want the national divorce, and they're right, and I'm very heartened by this poll. But the problem is, what do you create a national divorce with? If the red states are not only not fighting this stuff, but sometimes pioneering medical tyranny, pioneering green energy, and yes, as we're going to discuss with our next guest, pioneering central bank digital currency. So with us today to discuss this shocking development with central bank digital currency in North South Dakota and more about red state blues, which there's a lot of in this issue, many, many other issues, and really a glimpse into red state America, where we're failing, but where there is some momentum, is Jordan Mason. He is the director of the South Dakota Freedom Caucus, uh, part of this State Freedom Caucus network. Um, he's not a member of the legislature, to be clear. He's the executive director of that Freedom Caucus, working with those members to, believe it or not, make South Dakota conservative. I mean, there's almost no Democrats left there in the legislature, except the Republicans are the stand-ins there. Uh, he's been a campaign consultant, really working to elect conservatives at a local level for so long, so has a deep understanding of of where we're succeeding and failing at a local level in these states, he's also served in the Navy, had a lot of great experience there. One of my really new best friends, um, and we could talk forever, but so <laughs> proud to welcome you, Jordan, for the first time here to see our podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Daniel, for having me on. So I'm a little you confused know- here, Jordan. I'm a little confused. I just saw in the UK that uh, the Bank of England's Deputy Governor for Financial Stability, he recently said that... Uh, CBDC is likely to be needed, um, and on a scale from 1 to 10, um, maybe we're probably at a 7 in terms of creating this. And this sounds like a WEF, you will you know, eat the bugs and be happy type of thing. Are you telling me that the state of South Dakota just greased the skids for the creation of a central bank digital currency in your state? Yes, yes, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell people is, uh, you know, they, they did it through a vehicle, kind of a vessel using the Uniform Commercial Code, which is, you know, mundane legislation. It's kind of boring, but that's where they changed the definition of money. And it's very clear from the documents we've been able to discover that this was a planned and coordinated event 
between the Uniform Law Commission and other actors, including, you know, some of the Federal Reserve. So describe this Uniform Commercial Code and, and how states get involved, because obviously the Federal Reserve controls the currency. It's a federal thing. States don't have their own currency. Now, a lot of people want, and we do have legislation, to try to ensure we ban the prospect of a central bank digital currency if the feds get this off the ground to have the states interpose against that. But what right. you're warning about is that not only did South Dakota not interpose, but they actually uh, preemptively signed up for this reciprocity, you know, this this UCC, which kind of governs the reciprocity of commerce laws and definitions across state lines. So this right. bill, HB 1193, changes the definition of money. Describe the bill and what it does and how it got passed. So typically, like, you know, the UCC regulates things like what actually constitutes a security interest, what constitutes a note, um, you know, regulates debt. So in effect, it's been around, uh, the Uniform Law Commission has been around since the 1950s, and it's really been a tool in the United States to allow states that if you do business in South Dakota, Maryland, New York, you can pretty well be rest assured that it's the same sort of laws governing your commercial actions. Now, this is the first time that they've actually made an attempt to really rehaul uh, major fundamental definitions. And what, after looking up the ULC's you know, notes and all their documentation on why they made these changes, that's when it became explicitly clear they're making this change specifically uh, to allow and accommodate for a CBDC or central bank digital currency. And so that's when it became clear that, you know, with everything in the context of what's going on currently at the federal level, you know, it really makes sense because this now allows the regulatory scheme of the Uniform Commercial Code to exist once the Federal Reserve adopts the CBDC. And, you know, this is a way for the states to come back and say, no, we're not going to recognize a CBDC. Uh, but this, you know, unfortunately, the law that we just passed does. And furthermore, it legally defines the cryptocurrencies that currently exist that would compete with that central bank digital currency will not be legally recognized as money. So I, I want you, because I want people to call the governor's office and ask her to veto HB 1193, pass the Senate overwhelmingly 24 to 9, pass the House 49 to 17, um, and just talk about where this p provision is so people could point to it. Uh, you know, the, right. bill's, the bill, bill's kind of long, where it is in the Ooh. bill and the problematic language. Right, right. So specifically, the problematic language falls under Section 1, subsection 24 of the bill. And in there, you'll notice that it specifically gets into what an alternative currency is and isn't. Um, you know, and where, and just to quote kind of the ULC and the way they explain this, um, you know, the amendments clarify rules for money in electronic form, anticipating that some governments and central banks are experimenting with digital currency. So what they're doing is they're taking that definition and they're, they're specifically, you know, uh, kind of greasing the skids, so to speak, to say this is, you know, this is any sort of currency that's adopted by a central and or foreign government. I would point out they also allow foreign governments to dictate what is money and what is. Yes, I, I'm reading it now. It has or, it's not and. So it mean, right. am I reading this correctly that South Dakota could help and you, you'd presumably need a bunch of states to join, but they're redefining the term money, right? We're talking about 
universal code of definitions with transactions. So they redefined right. the term money if if a either the feds or an international body um, wants to have a new definition of money, then they will be on board with it preemptively, but it right. had to have not existed prior to that new concoction, which we all know is central bank digital currency. And you're saying that is done to not just create uh, CBDC, but also box out cryptocurrency as that alternative. Right, 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 right. And that's because the term does not include an electronic record that is a medium exchange recorded and transferable in a system that existed and operated for the medium of exchange before the one that was adopted by the government, right? That's what it says. And so once, so if the government adopts a CBDC, Bitcoin, which existed prior, will not be money. And as a matter of fact, the quote of saying the Bitcoin will not be money is a direct quote from Uniform Law Commission Stephen Wise on a video explaining this definition and the changes they made. So I, I think this is important because today we're comparing this you know, quest for universal currency, um, digital currency that's in control of the government, you know, corporate monopoly to control your lives, similar to energy and, and healthcare, what we're seeing. So it's kind of like right. they want to force you into the vaccines. Well, we're going to block ivermectin. We want to force you into fake green energy scams. We're going to make it difficult to have real energy. So here, right. too, you're saying they they want to grease the skids for a digital currency, but oh, 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 don't think that you can use that escape hatch with Bitcoin. Could you explain why? I just, you know, for those sure. of us that oh. aren't so familiar, because I'm not so schooled on this issue, why yeah, yeah. would Bitcoin be a tool for freedom? And why would they not be able to centralize it the way they centralize digital <laughs> currency? This this is the age-old fight, my friend. I mean, this is the fight between the Soviet Union, a centralized form of government, and Western democracies that are decentralized, giving the power to the individuals to dictate how their government runs, right? This is it. Uh, Bitcoin is a decentralized form of currency, right, which does not allow any single entity to determine its value or who you know necessarily possesses it. You can trade it freely. Uh, whereas a centralized form of currency, a CBDC, would allow the Federal Reserve would allow you the use of that money, but they could program it and control what you can buy, what you can own, and what you can use it on. As a matter of fact, um, you know you can quote um, International Monetary Fund uh, Managing Director Bo Lee, um, who famously said a CBDC can allow government agencies and private sector players to program to create smart contracts to allow targeted policy functions. For example, welfare payments. For example, consumption coupons. For example, food stamps. By programming CBDC, that money can be precisely targeted for what kind of people can own and for what kind of use this money can be utilized, for example, for food. That was said at the International Monetary Fund and World Bank annual meeting on October 14th of last year. So, I mean, it's very clear the difference. And the thing is, we don't need to speculate. We we lived through this. We lived through the vaccine passport the digital passport, the ability to say if you don't, I mean, it's part of the whole ESG, the COVID fascism, it all ties together that this is the rise of the Fourth Reich, the new fascism, except it's not just one country or a continent, it's the globe, it's public-private right. partnership, and it's 
insane technology. You mix those three together, you cannot escape their reach. We will make it that you cannot live a life if you don't abide by our ideological values, our system, our agenda. So everyone, I think, recognizes the danger in where this is headed and why they're motivated by it. But could you answer the question of where the hell did this come from in South Dakota? In other words, who, you know, like like with with the COVID stuff, so we see the, you know, <laughs> you know, you see Sanford Health as the 800-pound gorilla in the room with the tranny stuff, too, in, in the Dakotas. You kind of know the lobbyists. But who in the world germinated this thing, and why South Dakota? Right. So there's a couple different things, and you're, you're hitting the tie-in to the much bigger global picture. But, you know, who really started this? You can see from documentation going as far back as 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, right? We see that the Federal Reserve issued papers identifying the UCC as a, a possible, um, sorry, as a possible mechanism to really get this, uh, you know, regulated and put it into effect. Um, and so that's where, you know, we really have been able to identify that. Um, and I'm, I do apologize. Uh, yeah, there it is. The Central Bank Digital Currencies and Law, written by Stephen Schwartz, we identified that in the height of the pandemic, this guy working for the New York Federal Reserve, or at least associated with, identified the UCC for the wholesale wire transfers, and more importantly, the regulatory framework for retail CBDC transactions. Now, that was written in the fall of 2020, right? You move forward, summer of 2021, uh, we start to see that for account-based CBDCs, more and more legal journals are starting to publish that the Uniform Commercial Code, which governs both bank-to-customer and bank-to-bank fund transfers, would be the appropriate regulatory scheme, right? So as the Federal Reserve, which might I add, is not a government agency, it is not constitutional, there's a long debate there on why we even have a Federal Reserve, yep. but you know, the point being is that this private government, you know, non-governmental organization has started to roll out a CBDC. And it, it very clearly kind of ties into the other problems, which are ESG initiatives. Now, why South Dakota? Because we are the headquarters for people like Citigroup, American Express, Ooh. Visa, et cetera. So if you get us, wow. which they just did, right now, all of your credit cards you may find that you're no longer transacting with U.S. dollars. You may end up transacting with central bank digital currency or the digital dollar, also known as FedCoin, which is currently being piloted by the Federal Reserve right now. That happens. All of a sudden, you know, as Steve Forbes recently, uh, you know, warned people about, you know, if you have undesirable political views, you might not be able to access your money. That's a direct quote from Stephen Forbes uh, in his article, the Fed's digital dollar idea has frightening implications for privacy and freedom. And that was published just last year in December, um, you know, that's exactly what we're looking at. And we've seen this sort of activity rising, right? We saw the Canadian truckers with uh, having their bank accounts frozen by the Canadian regime due to their political ideology. Um, and, you know, this is exactly what we're seeing. And, and you know, it kind of reminds me, and I'm so glad to hear that you published a book, uh, you know, forthright. Uh, that's that's exactly the sort of uh, mentality that we're seeing from anything from, you know, mothers that don't want their child to be vaccinated to uh, individuals that want to speak out about different ideas. We're being persecuted um, it, by our own government, which is ironically exactly what the United States was founded to be against. Um, and that's that's why, you know, I'm very proud to be a part of the State Freedom Caucus Network, 
and to work with the South Dakota Freedom Caucus because that's exactly what we're fighting against. And we kind of feel like we're in the fight that our founding fathers found ourselves themselves in, which is Indeed. fighting against so, that. So could you tell me, I, I, I get the story with the South Dakota legislature. I mean, I've written a lot about it. I've, ex, I've been on the losing side with medical freedom. We had a simple constitutional amendment um, to just bar government mandates on someone's body to force them to take a therapeutic or put a device on themselves um, and ban discrimination in the realm of public accommodation. It wasn't even full private sector, just public accommodation. We got one vote on committee. So I'm very well aware of the problems that legislature, but this does shock me. You only got, I mean, you got like a quarter of the, the members to vote no. I, I would have mm-hmm. thought that something like this was pretty universal that they oppose it. Is it that a lot of them didn't realize this was ensconced in the bill or they're like, yeah, we need a central bank digital currency. Right. So, you know, it's kind of a mix. I mean, quite a few senators and legislators, and I'll say this as kindly as I can, you know, some of these, a lot of people get involved in politics due to social issues, not necessarily economic. Mm. So a, a politician's basic understanding of like basic economics is, is not, they're not real fluent in that area. No. Um, you know, that's just not, not typically their strong suit. Um, you know, coming from a former drunken sailor here, they can spend money worse than I ever could. Um, so, you know, they, they don't have a real good firm grasp on good financial policy, but I will say that, you know, that was part of it that they failed to understand, but there were some that very clearly did understand uh, that this would in, you know, in fact, uh, allow for banks to transact in a central bank digital currency. I don't think that the banking industry out here fully understands that a central bank digital currency is not allow an intermediary banking industry to allow or exist. I mean, for example, that's why Congressman Tom Emmer is introduced his uh, CBDC Anti-Surveillance Security Act uh, just a few days ago. And as a part of the provisions of that act would, would absolutely put limitations on allowing the Federal Reserve to allow direct deposits into the Federal Reserve as a central depository and to eliminate, uh, you know, any sort of existing, you know, banks that are out there. Um, So, you know, I was a little bit shocked to see even our banking industry, but, you know, this fight heightened to a point that where this originated, you know, the authors of this, the Uniform Law Commission, they flew out their top chief uh, legislative counsel uh, on this to testify and, you know, we saw banking, uh, you know, people flying people from all over to contest this. And, you know, it was quite the fight to be had. Unfortunately, you know, as the old saying goes, too, we're grassroots and we were fighting, you know, corporate America on the forefront. So there is one thing we didn't mention, the 800 pound gorilla in the room here, something this earth shattering gets past both houses where has the governor been all along and would she veto this? Well, that's exactly what we're trying to get people to do is we're, you know, we're asking anyone and everyone to call governor. No at 605-773-3212. Again, that's 605-773-3212. And we're asking that she do, you know, does veto this legislation, you know, to be fair, this thing kind of came out of the blue and I'll be the first to admit I didn't even see this coming originally, and the only way I happened to catch it is I was testifying in the House Judiciary when this was first introduced to the first committee, and I was testifying on gun legislation. 
And it just so happened that Representative Scott Odenbach, which is an outstanding gentleman, and uh, Representative John Hansen, also a, a true patriot. Yeah, great friend uh, of mine. Fall, right. Both of them happen to raise questions about the definition of money in this legislation. And specifically, Scott Odenbach very publicly said, you know, some may say this, this may be paving the way for a central bank currency. At which point that definitely pricked my ears and I started to dig into it. And, you know, after digging into their documentation, that's where I found for sure that is exactly why they changed this definition the way they did. And they were actively trying to eliminate cryptocurrencies to be legally defined as money in our legal system. And, so, you know, to be fair, this has been so quick. It's Daniel, so quick, that it's and, and that's what up. I find. That's what I find, that, that there's a lot of bills. They don't have staff. And, and this is really what you guys are trying to do with the Freedom Caucus, to be that force multiplier and pull your resources together and monitor. Um, it, it You know, because we've been focusing mainly on our fight to pass good things and we get stymied. But it's shocking how we still have to play defense sometimes to prevent them from passing new bad things. And, and something this bad is, right. is shocking. Um, have you found this in other states? Is this something that people need to be alerted right. to elsewhere? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I encourage people to go to the Uniform Law Commission and look at the 2022 amendments. There are 21 states across the country that this exact same legislation is being ruled out. This is a national effort. And so back to the purpose of the Uniform Law, you know, Uniform Commercial Code, this will be rolled out to all 50 states nationwide by the end of next year. And so this is, we are at the tip of the spear on this thing here in South Dakota. And so, you know, people like myself have been staying up night after night. And I, I do apologize if I seem a little groggy because I had another all nighter, but um, you know, we're doing everything we can to get the word out, uh, make sure people are aware of what's going on, especially those. And I don't think people have really contemplated what the impact of saying legally in law, the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, where trillions of dollars have been invested is no longer considered legally to be money, what the impact on the markets could be. Holy smokes. I mean, I'm just looking at this here. And again, you go to uniformlaws.org um, and you'll see this map. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned yep. this. I think this is important for all of our teams. And they actually list the legislation. And, you know, you got, I'm just going to go through the red states. You got Arizona, Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, um, Oklahoma, and let's see, Tennessee and West Virginia. So this is a big deal. This is a really, really big deal that this is a right. live grenade that has been planted everywhere. And we got to we gotta make sure this stuff is killed. So... Um, this is a big action item. Obviously, the immediate need is this is a big test for Christy Nome. There's no excuse not to veto the bill. Um, I mean, look, I, I did hear something positive from a member of, of the legislature that, that she might veto it. So, you know, we, we still have to make sure it happens um, because if she doesn't, it'll right. be pretty bad. And 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 then all these other states. I, I want to just zoom out um, so we got to play defense, but I want to play offense too. We've talked a lot in this program about the centralization of healthcare and how it's the biggest tyranny you can imagine. Um, and they've destroyed private practice. They've centralized, and that's the goal of everything. You have this fake private monopoly that's that's run by the government, 
and then they not just give you crappy quality at at you know a high cost, whatever that service is, but but you know that's the least of the problems. It's it's a tyranny. It's a tyranny on your body. It's a tyranny on your your life, your ability to get a car, energy, and now currency and and transactions, and they they will enforce everything through this. So you know we used to have a lot of credit unions, community banks. You know, kind of what Obamacare did to healthcare, Dodd Frank slash those whole bank bailouts era really seemed to consolidate uh, the mergers and acquisitions and box out those small banks. Is there anything that we can do in states legislatively to kind of reshuffle that deck? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, this is this is part of the problem that we're seeing now. And it's kind of nefarious is part of the reason that you're seeing some of this consolidation is they're, they're passing regulatory schemes that, frankly, small banks just can't adhere to. Um, in, in just like what your comparison with Obamacare, right? So I, I do think that there are some things that we can, frankly, deregulation in many respects, or at least smart and, and tactical deregulation could really provide a greater benefit to allow more competition in the market. Yeah, no, I mean this is this is what we're seeing, and I don't have time to get into it now. But you know, there's this whole effort from JD Vance that I know a lot of people like him. This kind of pseudo populist thing. Yeah, we're scared the people with East Palestine. Let's have all these regulations for DOT to put on transporting hazardous waste, and it has bipartisan support. This thing's gonna, you know, and gonna, no one's gonna want to oppose it. But it's like, aside from the fact that the you know, derailment wasn't really the issue. It's what they did afterwards. And that's not addressed by this bill, what they're doing to this day, not moving these people out. Um, it's like, really? I mean, you know, it, it, the, the more regular regulatory authority in a vacuum is just going to empower the incumbent powers. It's regulatory capture and it's not going to keep anyone more safe. It's just going to lock up that monopoly, make things worse. You'll just get the liabilities of it. So we definitely need that at a state level to try to figure out how do we bring back a decentralization in this. Right. Um, real quick, people are going to want to know, is is gold on the chopping block from this legislative initiative? No, from my understanding, the because gold is an authorized and adopted form of money, mm-hmm. um, I would assume, but I, this is an assumption, I guess I haven't really explored that question as well as I should, um, but I would assume that that would still be considered money as that's been a longstanding um, you know, form of currency and money by the United States. Okay, well, that's good to know because there are some states that are going on offense trying to, uh, you know, authorize gold as 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 currency and this is something we really need to look at um i know it's probably some of the other freedom caucuses are doing that um we only have a few minutes yeah i don't want to cut you off if you have just one more thing on that and then i want to move on to carbon capture yeah yeah i do want to just say one thing that people need to pay attention to is with the private policies being instituted by businesses with this esg or environmental social governance this will be the mechanism they'll use to enforce that yeah yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you have this, then you could talk about anti-ESG all you want. Um, you know, if they control the money, they control your life. You know, it's just like we yeah. had all the statutes we wanted on EUA, right? It was illegal for them to do everything to advertise it, much less mandate it. Right. But they did it anyway. So if it, if they have the power, they'll do it just because they can. That is the rise of the Fourth Reich. So I want to transpose to what we start off the show with 
another shocking thing you wouldn't have expected. So I cannot think of a more insane idea than building expensive infrastructure under the ground, grabbing people's private land for pipelines, but not to deliver vital oil and gas to the people, but to create this carbon capture that you get nothing out of it, store it underground in caves forever if that's even safe, spend billions of dollars, um, obviously mark up the cost of all energy by doing that, and then give aid and comfort to the premise that we need to transition away, that carbon's a pollutant, um, the the battle for this is not in California. The battle for carbon capture, it's it's in Alaska, but now most prominently with these pipelines going from Iowa through Nebraska, South Dakota, and dumping off into this you know dumping facility underground in in a central western you know kind of uh you know north northwest of Fargo or northwest of Bismarck, I think, um, in North Dakota. Um, so we talked about on the show, and you're the one who tipped me off to this, that South Dakota is worse than the other states because not just could not just the fact that they could use governmental, um, right, right, you know, uh, eminent domain, but they don't even need to go through the utilities commission and show public good. They could uh, go straight to court with private use as a common carrier. There was a bill to just. Not take away eminent domain completely for this, but very simple just to make it that they're not a common carrier, so they would at least have to go through the Utilities Commission, and it was crushed. Right. Where does right. that stand? So, yeah, I mean, right now, it, that's pretty well been killed. Uh, we've, you know, we've definitely talked about trying to get uh, some different ways of trying to bring it back. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Under South Dakota Codified Law 49-7-13, it's very clear that says any pipeline companies owning a pipeline, which is a common carrier, may exercise the right of eminent domain, um, which, you know, to me is wild. I mean, that's that's like uh, me putting flashers on the top of my car and pulling over random people I don't like and arresting them and detaining them for a period of time. I mean, that's just uh, it's kind of wild. Um, but you know, that's, that's the law that we currently have in South Dakota. And, you know, I want to definitely give a huge shout out to representative Lems for having the uh, courage to take on, you know, fairly large corporations. I mean, we're talking billion dollar corporations that are operating here and what they're doing is if you look at it, the carbon sequestration effort is all a part of, you know, the Biden administration and their regime. And I I do want to refer to them as a regime, uh, their tax credit scheme in sequestering carbon for his Green New Deal. Um, you know, they'll argue that, you know, it's also because there's commercial products like, you know, for example, the carbonation in your soda water or different products like that, that it can be eventually commercially sold. But what this is, is they're talking about sequestering it and, and storing it, like you said, in a giant hole in the ground for an extended period of time, where it's not actually for the public use or the public good by any stretch of the imagination. And what Carlo Lenz's bill was going to do is to say that that is not a common carrier under our current laws because there is no public use whatsoever. You're just literally putting it in a black hole. And then, and then, as we noted, when you don't have market forces applied to a product, meaning that you have the weight of government saying you must do this, this is an imperative, here's the credits for it, it's all good, you could take the land. So – what about the safety? I mean, aside from the fact that it's built on a lie, it's convoluted, you're, you're making you know, energy in, uh, prohibitively expensive. But, I mean, does that make sense, just making the entire Dakotas, like, underground, just, you know, concentrated carbon there? Right. I mean, 
And I think there are, you know, that's something that is another aspect of this that should have been, I believe, more thoroughly explored. But yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious when you're digging a giant hole in the ground and you're putting a gas underneath it. Yeah, I mean, I think the things that come to mind are, you know, what about sinkholes? What kind of structural integrity and support are you building with these holes? Um, Yeah, and more importantly, too, you know, there's also, and ironically, I've said this before, and I guess I'll even say it on your show, you know, environmentalism in many respects has been one of the greatest harms to the environment that we've seen in the past 20 to 30 years. And this is another great example, right? Well, trying to sequester away carbon out of the atmosphere, which is Biden's initiative, you're rolling over a bunch of economic biomes, right, in farmland country that also have, you know, the, the surrounding hedges and stuff where there is animal life. And you're eating that up and destroying it. All for what? I mean, there, there does come a point that it's like you're actually causing a heck of a lot more harm to save the environment than actually just, you know, letting the environment exist. And then you have, like we talked about in these same states, this obsession with wind and solar. And not only, again, <laughs> is it greasing agenda <clears throat> 2030, is it, um, you know, odious, inefficacious forms of of uh, power that aren't there for you. They're, they're uh, you know, a bunch of parasitic companies pushing this. The cronyism is terrible. And again, it, it greases the skids to get us away from functional energy but isn't it true that th- these wind turbines, I'm seeing all these stories of this, you know, piling up of wind turbines. I have to find this right. story here. There's something about some sort of estimate by 2050, the number of wind turbines that are going to be piling up. And, you know, how is that not harming the environment in and of itself? Right. No, it absolutely is. And, you know, I, I encourage people, if you come out this direction, um, you know, swing out through Iowa. Go, go ask one of the locals and say, hey, where's the local wind turbine blade you know, stockpile? And they'll show you mountains of these things stacked up because here's the hard reality. It's carbon fiber material. You can't burn that. You can't really recycle it. So the only thing they can do is stockpile it. <laughs> now, these are broken wind turbines. So you're literally polluting the, you know, the ground and all of our land. In, in the effort under the guise of saying that I'm saving the environment while you destroy it. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But what about the amazing solar panels? I mean, that's as pure as the wind-driven snow. You just, you know, soak in that, that, that natural sun and, you know, it's clean energy, right? Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's another, um, you know, issue there, but we, you know, and I, I didn't originally think this would happen either, but, you know, San Jose, California actually had an issue with their groundwater system in detecting heavy metals. And, you know, where it was is those California fires, there were numerous solar cell panels that were put along the uh, hillside. And when that fire started, it cracked and damaged some of those solar panels. Yes. Well, ends up those solar panels have heavy metal in them. And so when it finally rained after the fires had been put out, well, what did it do with those heavy metals? Well, it drained it right into the drinking water system of California, causing a major environmental impact. I mean, that leads you right to a lot of people are saying, hey, let's get electric vehicles. But nobody's talking about, well, what happens when the, that battery in that electric car dies? Where do you put that exactly? Because that's got a ton of lithium in it. Or if right? you have that's a natural heavy, disaster, like we saw the Florida uh, fire marshal was talking about this all over the place when they had the hurricane. You know, for the first time, now that there's so many of these stupid things on the market, um, they had major problem with spontaneous fires, and you created a mass 
uh, ubiquitous hazmat situation. And it's like these are all the things that the private market in the past vetted out. But the government abolished the private market and you have this fake puppet government venture socialism where the government ponies up the regulatory structure and the subsidies and then bans everything else so it boxes you into their way of living and all of these things are never thought about and just like with covid where it was the ultimate blood libel the ultimate form of projection where everything they accused others of doing they were actually doing (laughs) every single product they put out caused more covid and was was unsafe and that's the thing. Oh, yeah. You take away market forces. That's your carbon capture. That's your your wind and solar. So again, I'm going to ask you, Jordan, where is Governor Nome on this business with her constituents? I mean, I, I heard that I played for our audience that riveting testimony you sent to me. You know, imagine having your land taken for something so stupid. Right. Yeah. That woman. Poor woman. Um, yeah, you know, that's a, the unfortunate thing is we haven't really heard from Governor No much at all this year. Um, as a matter <laughs> of fact, I mean, I've, I've seen her in the Capitol a handful of times, uh, just kind of scurrying from one office to the next. But as far as official comments, and, you know, even the media has really commented on it this year, uh, you know, Governor Nome has really not held any press conferences uh, except for a few comments here and there. Uh, and that's as of really the last week or so. Um, but yeah, I have not heard of an official stance on where she stands on that. I do know that, you know, there are some leadership, uh, people, including, uh, you know, representative Will Mortensen, who has also come out and said, you know, this is an issue that needs to be addressed with, especially with uh, property ownership, uh, rights. I, I, I just don't understand how you have these earth shattering civilization fights in legislatures and, and your governor is not unique. It's all of them. DeSantis, you see, leading like he leads the legislative right. session. These other ones, it's like, hey, buddy, you're the well, witness you're... protection program. All, all of a sudden, like, well, I'm not, I'm not the legislative break. Give me a break. You're the lead. If your party is in control of the chamber, you lead that agenda. And, and if there's a big issue, you take a stand on it. And if you're not, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that behind the scenes, you're on the side of the prevailing uh, winds. And right. uh, well. Yeah, You know, Daniel, I mean, I'm going to just throw this out and I, I got to be a little bit careful because I still have to work with some of these people. But, <laughs> you know, the reality is, is, you know, there we have people in our legislator, for example, there's somebody in the Nome administration that will tell you if you ask him, he was a Jimmy Carter Democrat. But he now registers as a Republican and has since about the mid 80s. But, you know, for the good stretch of his life, he was a registered Democrat. We also have a 2008 Barack Obama field coordinator out here in, uh, in <laughs> South Dakota, who not only was, you know, an outspoken Democrat, but in 2012 took a bunch of money from the South Dakota Democratic Party. And then right before he decided to announce the run, flipped parties, kept <laughs> the money from the Democrats, and then ran as a Republican and got elected. Um, and this sort of trend we've seen time and time again. Time and again, and it's it makes- all over those great upper west, you know upper midwest great plains states so so we're we're at a time here and i know this deserves its own show but kind of real briefly we talked about with andy roth um but to kind of give us a south dakota centric vision of this are you seeing any progress in breaking this trend of raising awareness that hey like you know you know two and a half to one you voted for for trump over over hillary or biden but, dude, you know, you have a two and a half to one liberal majority, these Democrats that right. run as Republicans. Is there any momentum now to rectify that in the next election? 
Yes, and I think it's going to come with the Freedom Caucus. And I'll tell you, the last time I saw this was when I was working with the National Association of Gun Rights. We actually took the legislative cycle and matched it with the election cycle. So we started to take these votes and then go after these people. But more importantly, what happens all the time in these small rural states is these guys will go back home and say, oh, yeah, no, I fought against tax increases, even though they were the ones sponsoring the legislation to increase the taxes. They lied to their constituents. Because no one pays attention. But that's the problem, is then us conservatives, we sit back silent saying, oh, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Well, the reality is we need to ruffle feathers. We need to get down in the trenches. and We need to pull out the knife and gut these guys, metaphorically speaking, of course, in the election cycle, and take them out. We got crushed. We got crushed this cycle. But the one thing we achieved, and I think you did this thanks to your work and and many other Freedom Caucuses, other states, we created – the only thing worse than them screwing us is them screwing us and nobody knowing about it. So you created the inflection (laughs) point, um, germinated all these votes that are very revealing that wouldn't have taken place otherwise, and that's that's all we can do for now is the first step. Now it's time to name those names, uh, you know, blast this everywhere locally – and uh, boy, I, there's so much more I want to talk about, but this was very enlightening how red states are not red. Um, they're leading on digital currency in South Dakota, leading on carbon capture. We got to turn this around. We got to focus in our own areas of influence. Forget about the Washington soap opera. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to you coming back. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So again, that was Jordan Mason, very bright young man. Executive Director of South Dakota Freedom Caucus. Imagine before they came into existence, you didn't have any organized opposition. And this is where we are. They are coming for our bodies, our land, our energy, and our currency. There's nothing they won't take. And we don't have an infrastructure in place in most of these red states to even block it there And as we're noting, these are two big issues that red states are leading the charge of the Fourth Reich. Where is the focus? Well, I'll tell you where we are. We're focused. That's why if you heard this this presentation from Jordan, you'll understand the power of getting even 15, 20 people together, forming a team, and dogging the legislature, putting out this information. There's a lot of stuff that even those of us who do this miss. I can't keep up on every last bill in every legislature. Um, and that's why we need you guys to be my eyes and ears so then we can elevate this. Um, literally, just this morning, I was on with Glenn Beck, and thanks to you know Jordan informing me, I was able to put out the note, and he called upon Christie known to veto this bill. Um, and that's really where we need to direct our attention to these governors, to start drawing them out so they don't play this double game. Um, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more about that tomorrow, but we are out of time, folks. Hope you guys feel empowered, as empowered as you are scared and enraged. That's my goal, because that's what's going to spawn us to action. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and